the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we can find Value courage. Hey everyone, I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. And this is the We Get Real AF podcast, a safe and inclusive place where we redefine feminism and bridge cultural gaps with each episode. We talk with female leaders about things that matter to you most, your health, finances, raising kids, building your career, everyday life, and so much more. Plus, we take a look at how emerging tech and science are shaping our future. Not a coder or a rocket scientist, neither are we. We will spark your curiosity and give you practical advice for living your best life in a world that's changing at lightning speed. Let's learn together. Join us every Tuesday for smart, real, and relatable conversations. And subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find at We Get Real AF across all social media platforms for exclusive online video content. So grab a coffee, set your intentions, and let's dive in. Welcome to Tech Talk. And here's what's going on in the world of tech and science. All righty. Well, it seems like every social media platform out there and every just content providing platform out there keeps rolling out new features all the time. And it's hard to keep up with them all. But today we are going to talk about the latest from Netflix. They are rolling out a TikTok-like feature that's aimed at kids and it's, it's their latest attempt to attract younger viewers to their platform. It's called Kids Clips. And basically, it's little quick clips of various uh, Netflix programs that kids can watch on their phones in landscape view versus portrait view. And they can consume a bunch of different little, basically, I guess, trailers um, for kids programming. It's Netflix's way of trying to get their programming in front of all these kids who have their screens in front of them all day. They are limiting it to 10 to 20 clips at a time. So I just thought that was interesting because Vanessa, you have young children and um, wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, I have so many mixed emotions. So Anderson, which is my eldest, she'll be five in January, has a little um, Amazon Fire, I think is what it's called. Like it's a little iPad, but it's the Amazon version. And we have the YouTube kids on there. She can watch, you know, kid-friendly content. And even with that, I can see how she is um, almost addicted to like watching video after video and oh, Elsa Anna, Anna dolls and all, all these other fun things that she sees and she just continues to click on them. And those are more so longer formatted, you know, videos. Um, but the, the whole like short trailer thing, it, it scares me because again, I think they know that kids are on these devices for a little longer than they should be, especially, goodness, just, and I feel bad because I am one of those parents, like showing parents grace because during COVID, especially, you know, if you had to work and you could put your, your child in front of something that was engaging and entertaining and hopefully a mix of the edutainment that we talk about, you were hoping to do them a service versus them just sitting there doing nothing or just playing with the toy and getting bored and asking you for the next thing when you had to actually work, right? So it kind of scares me that yes, technology technology companies are going after younger children because they know this. And is that really good for our kids at the end of the day? Um, I don't know what benefit a Netflix has from the little trailers. I mean, I'm thinking again, and I'm thinking of this from a very personalized standpoint, but like my my daughter, if she wants to watch a movie, she wants to watch the whole thing. So it's like she doesn't want to just watch many trailers. And this that, that like the way you described it is exactly how I interpreted it when I when I read it. Now, the article I read didn't give me like the amount of the length of time of these trailers. You know, I don't know if it's gonna be five minutes either. or three minutes, but 20 clips will go by like that you know, uh, with, with children, right? So 20 clips at a time. And then what happens after that? Like, is it, they get used to seeing these mini trailers and that's all they want to see. And then after 20 clips, it's like, mommy, daddy, like, oh, I want to see more of them. And then what does the mom and dad do? So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it, to your point, they're all trying to compete for their attention and they want to stay relevant and, and do what the, the cool kid is doing, <laughs> you know, like TikTok and, and YouTube and all that. But I just, I don't know what the end game is here. When I think back to when my girls were little, there was this big controversy about flash rates, screen flash rates, and how mm. quickly the idea and the image changed before kids' eyes. And did that um, 
did that limit their attention span? Did it in some ways curtail their attention span? I almost feel like this is sort of in that same uh, frame of questioning. It's, first of all, it's advertising. And I don't envy parents with little kids nowadays because my kids did not, when they were like preschool, early elementary school age, they didn't have devices where they had access to this stuff all the time. If they wanted to watch Sesame Street, they had to sit down and then turn on the TV and I knew what they were doing. And so mm-hmm. they didn't watch as much, you know? So it, I don't know. It's like playing a, a whack-a-mole kind of game with um, with the technology that our kids now have access to. But it is interesting. And yes, the takeaway is the technology companies are coming for your kids and uh, trying to get them interested, I guess, and hooked into the, these programs that they offer on Netflix. So yeah, hope the they're good programs. <laughs> I know. And that's what you have to like really cross your fingers on is that they're they're gaining, you know, educational value from it. Right now, something I have noticed about Anderson is that you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, well, I can put that on the big screen. So that way I can control it a little more. She does not like that. Mm. No, I want to watch it on my own device because she has more control and flexibility as to what she, the content that she consumes versus having to ask me to put it on the big screen. So there's, there's definitely an addictive like pattern there. And, you know, with, they're feeding into it. I mean, that's just it. And again, I just they know. What's, what's the end game? What's the end game? Anyway, anyway. All right. I digress. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. And that's that. <laughs> yes. So Venmo um, is going to be on Amazon as an option for payment now. So um, they they struck a deal with Amazon, and starting in 2022 you will be able to buy things on Amazon using your Venmo app. Uh, Traditionally, you've had to use your your credit card or whatever other forms of payment that you have attached to your account. Um, But basically, uh, eBay had blocked Venmo from doing business with other competitors for a while. And I I believe that the contract, I guess, has has reached its term. And we're going to be able to use it and and buy more awesome things on Amazon and get those lovely little brown boxes that we all like opening up <laughs> on our doorstep. <laughs> and now all know that that our friends are are buying all the time on Amazon because you can see on Venmo unless they mark their transaction private. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. Like I, I, all my transactions are private. I don't like. There's nothing that I gain from seeing what other people are doing with their spending. I don't understand that piece of it. Like, but, is your... Yeah, I agree with you. But I was thinking about, I actually went on to Venmo today because I use it all the time. And I usually mark things private too. But I realized I can go on to my Venmo. I never paid attention or thought about it before. I can see all these people I don't even know, like what their transactions are with their friends of friends. And... I can deduce what their spending patterns are if I'm interested in doing that. Certainly an AI algorithm could do that. And so my question is, are advertisers tracking people's activities on Venmo to target them with advertising? And are we just all exposing ourselves and how we spend to um, a whole world of, of digital spies? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, what other, what, what's the purpose of that? I mean, you and I, just human beings, do nothing with that information unless we're like, oh, wow, that would be a really cool friend to have. They spend a lot of money on their friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We should, for, to, yeah. we should have lunch dates. <laughs> um, but no, but apart from that, like there is no value. So apart from being a marketer and advertiser, to your point, yeah, absolutely. That's information for them to say, oh yeah, these people like to spend money in this way on these things and we should be targeting <laughs> our ads to those people. So I don't know. I, I Again, there is a way that you can, mark each transaction as you do them as private, but there's also like a global settings, settings? global settings to do all of them. And that's what I did like a few months ago, because I was like, why do I have to press this each and every time? Like, I don't want my business to be out there. And then I went into my settings and found that global button. All right, everybody look for your global button and don't make it so easy for the advertisers and marketers that are watching you through Venmo. (laughs) I'm going to find that setting after we're done here. Let me, let me live. (laughs) Exactly. Get away from me. I don't have that much money. You don't need to know how I'm spending what, what little I have. Oh my goodness. Well, speaking of big companies that sometimes do questionable things, we have our friends over at Facebook now known as Meta. Um, they have, of course, done this big rebrand and questions are raised about the timing of it because Facebook has been so much in the news and in the headlines for controversial and and 
somewhat sketchy behavior um, related to data privacy, related to the way that their Instagram platform speaks to young women in particular. Um, so they've rebranded as Meta. They're saying that it's not a paint job, that this is a rebrand that they were planning to do months before the congressional hearings with uh, the whistleblower. Anyway, they're making a big push, of course, for the metaverse, which a lot of people, I think, are still trying to wrap their heads and in, in arms around. What does that mean to me personally? I think, you know, you and I, Vanessa, have a background uh, in virtual and augmented reality and sort of doing business development around those technologies. And we do see the value in them. But um, that is... That's where I guess Meta is now banking on their future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, this is like their way of coining like Meta, right? I like know. everyone was using that term very loosey goosey as of late. So yeah, go there. You go Facebook. Way to go. <laughs> I just took um, it. <laughs> like yeah. and the infinity symbol too. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. Yeah. To your point, they've rebranded if you didn't know. And I think this, we talked about this, like this is like basic information that sometimes you get caught up in life and you just don't realize that Facebook is something that's so popular that you may not even realize. Yeah. They're, they're now owned by Meta. Um, so if you hear Meta, that's who you're, who they're talking about is essentially Facebook. Um, one of the things that has recently come out about Meta is that they are no longer going to allow targeting based on sensitive topics like your religion, polit uh, political orientation, sexual orientation, health, all the things. Um, so that's something that they're going to put a stop on and they want to be proactive and making the change, et cetera. Now, do, am I, do I think that these deals were going on before all of this stuff came out with the whole name change and stuff? Yeah, maybe. Do I think that it was expedited? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> I don't, I don't fast enough, maybe. <laughs> think that yeah. it's just like, oh yeah, we're, this has been for a long time coming. No, I think that, yeah, I think that there was probably some expediting and some, hey, let's uh, distract and, and move toward like what we're doing. And I appreciate people wanting to do the right thing, but was it motivated really from, you know, by altruistic, like social responsibility or was it, um, you know, just so, you know, trying to protect themselves at the end of the day. You know, they said, well, Google did a big rebrand uh, to Alphabet back, mm -hmm. I think, in 2015. So it's not like we're the only guys doing this. And and companies do rebrand all the time. So um, we'll just we'll just see. I think the reality is technology companies deal in and trade in so much volume of information personal information, prefer preferential information about people, about their consumers, that they're always going to be stepping on landmines. Mm -hmm. you know, they're just always going to be because that's the, the universe that they operate in and that's where they make their money. And so it, we'll have many more scandals to come under oh, yeah. that, I think, uh, even if, if it's not calling itself Facebook. They've done a lot of good when it comes to really bridging gaps and connecting people. And yeah, were there questionable things? Absolutely. It happens. And it might not have been just, you know, uh, the whole company, obviously, you know, it's not like the whole company in general, but the people that were making some of these decisions, yes, they needed to be addressed. And to your point, we're going to, we're going to see some of that. So mm -hmm. I know we always like to kind of say, shame on you, Facebook, we'll watch what yeah. you're doing, but at the same time, give credit where credit's due. And, and at the same, it, we always talk about, Failure not being a, a negative thing, but learning from your mistakes and and trying to change and evolve and and correct those things. And hopefully that's what they're doing, right? Right. That's what we can hope for. And, and it'll be interesting to see if the metaverse is truly the next big thing. You know, Vanessa and I were talking uh, recently about the, the idea of creating virtual spaces where you're represented by an avatar, which is really where the technology stands right now. That mm -hmm. doesn't really do it for me. Like... Uh, you know, if I'm gaming or trying to do something whimsical, yes, then that makes sense to be in a room filled with avatars. But if I'm having a business meeting or I'm really trying to connect as a human, even in this still somewhat remote, uh, at a distance world that we're living in, I would rather see your face on a two-dimensional screen because I can read your expression and I just know that that's you. It's not mm -hmm. a, I call it a cartoon character. So, and I know that the technology isn't there yet to reproduce, volumetrically capture whatever somebody in live stream format in these virtual spaces. And I imagine that's probably what Facebook is, or Meta, um, is looking to do in the long game. But, mm -hmm. you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how widely adopted the metaverse is 
Yeah. And I think it'll and, have to do a lot with that, how realistic it truly ends up being. Cause I don't think everybody's into avatars. I 100% agree. And just for anybody listening, we've covered this on the show uh, once before, but if you haven't, and metaverse kind of still feels like this, you know, word that we say, but we really don't know the meaning of when you think of the metaverse, what people are saying is eventually technology and the world in which we live is like that intersection. So things that we see right now on a screen would just be in your real space. So to Sue's point about seeing somebody in your space, like if you're having a meeting with them, so we're on Zoom right now, but if I had, let's say, uh, glasses on, but eventually they don't even want a barrier of entry being the glasses. So basically you would have maybe cameras in your in your room and the volumetric capture image of Sue would be in my space, in my little studio space here at home. And I could see her and interact with her as though she was truly here. And that would feel more human and really rekindle that human connection more than a cartoon avatar would. So I just wanted to put that out there because sometimes we talk about these things and it might feel intangible and like something that you can't really put your finger on. But that's kind of when people say metaverse, that's what we're thinking of. I always think a good analogy is Princess Leia and Princess Leia. Star Wars, you know, except that she's not a recording. She's actually sitting there talking to you in real time, um, in real time. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. where we're going, I guess. Hopefully. I, I mean, I think that's cool. <laughs> I think that's cool, too. I think that's way more cool than, um, yeah, than avatars. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, into the future. Hey. Up next is Real Health with Elizabeth Cormier May. CEO of Mamagen, a company specializing in women's health and biotechnology. We're here with Elizabeth Cormier May, CEO of Mamagen. We interviewed Liz and uh, Martin Kaiser um, to speak about Mamagen and women's health uh, a couple of months ago. So if you haven't yet checked out the episode, we encourage you to do so. Um, but Liz is here with us as a recurring contributor for Real Health, and we're very excited about it. Liz, if you wouldn't mind giving a brief background on, on you in case anyone hasn't heard about Mamagen or your exciting work, and then we'll dig into uh, this week's topic. Sure. Thank you. I am Liz, and I am a serial entrepreneur in the healthcare space. I really focus on either forming new companies, creating new products, building new markets, all with an eye towards patient empowerment and bringing tools that aren't existent already. So at Mamagen, we're focused on early detection breast cancer, and we are clinically validating um, a test that would allow women to be diagnosed uh, simple, simply from blood or saliva. Um, and we're focusing on women who right now don't have good screening tools to do that. Um, I also run a digital health startup company called Dragonfly Data Ventures. You guys won't find a whole lot about us out there. That's purposeful, but that will be changing in the coming months. And that's really all about empowering patients to own control and monetize their own data streams, which um, is becoming a really hot topic right now. But other than that, I am a very happy mother of two, uh, two kids. Thomas is eight. Violet is five. I have a wonderful husband. Um, and in the very uh, far and few between <laughs> free moments, I'm usually at the hockey rink as a hockey mom or the gym as a gymnastics mom. So <laughs> how do you fit that in, Liz? I want to know your secret. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. And thank you so much for giving that professional background and the personal background, because it really ties into what we're speaking of today, which is this idea that women can do it all. And hey, we are a women empowerment podcast. Like we think women are the uh, unicorns of the universe. We say it all the time, we are powerful. However, it is due to support systems, right? And, you know, our, our partners, our children, our families, our friends. So let's dig into that, that expectation versus the reality, Liz. Yeah. So uh, expectation versus reality. This is something I I um, work on personally every day and have for the last 20 some odd years. And here's the only piece I can come up with. We can't do it all. And the expectation that we could or should only sets everybody up for failure um, because we're just people. 
right? Um, and women, I think, have it sometimes harder than men in this regard because families rely so heavily on mom. And I love that my family relies heavily on me. It's, a, it's my favorite part of the day is getting mom, 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 mom 10,000 times because it means I'm engaging with my kids. But at the same time, I have to understand that I can't be the one answering all of those questions and running companies and trying to change the way we interact with our healthcare system. And for me, I'm exceedingly blessed. I have a wonderful partner. Uh, my husband's name is Tommy and he stays home as the primary caregiver for our kids and has since my son was born. Um, so I consider myself extremely lucky, but you know, I, I, I work with a lot of other women entrepreneurs and CEOs who don't have that privilege. And I, I watch them struggle um, to try to be the primary caregiver as mom and lead a company. You know, and one of the things that makes women so powerful, but also becomes a pain point is that we feel very accountable for the people um, that we love. And, and I don't just mean our family. I mean, I love all of my employees. It's I feel very accountable to making sure that my decisions take all of these companies to the next level so that they can pay their kids tuition and buy groceries and make their mortgage payment. And so that's something that I think is quite unique to women. We take it all on and we own it. And while that is a strength in some ways, it's also the core of why sometimes it becomes too much. And I think we have to learn that we're not responsible for everybody. So Liz, how do we do that? Because when you feel like you have all these pressures and all these expectations weighing on you. And this is particularly germane at this time of year that we're heading into, right? The holiday season, because there's all those extra expectations. We're not only supposed to get it all done, but we're supposed to make it magical along the way, right? What are your practical tips for for being able to take a step back Mm -hmm. and a deep breath and take stock? And then what do you do to not go crazy, especially at this time of year? the way I cope with some of that has changed over the years. When my kids were really little, I would actually take conference calls and hide in my closet (laughs) because it was the one quiet spot um, where I could just take a deep breath and and they, they wouldn't find me. So having a spot that's just yours, I think is really important, even if it's the bathroom or the master closet, (laughs) right? Having that just physical space and boundaries to that physical space is important. And some days you might never need it. And other days you might need it all day. And both of those situations are okay. Um, Now, as my kids have gotten a little bit older and, and can do more for themselves, what really keeps me sane, it's two things. One, getting up a little bit earlier than everybody else. So I have a quiet house and time to just kind of center, look through my calendar, plan for my day, and I only plan for that one day. I've that's this is a lesson that I've learned. I cannot, woman. Yeah, I cannot look at my entire week or my entire month because it's overwhelming. Um, so I just I on Sundays I will look at my week just to make sure I'm the, I, I have an oversight as to what's coming. But starting Monday morning, I just look at Monday and Tuesday, I just look at Tuesday, and that's been exceedingly helpful. And then I would say. I do as much um, walking as I possibly can. So whether I'll take calls while I walk outside and in New England, that gets a little tough around this time of year. Um, But I recently just got an under the desk treadmill and I do so many of my calls while walking. And I have to tell you, at the end of my day, I feel so much more positive and empowered than when I physically sit or stand still all day. And that that works for me. A hundred percent. I feel like if I, if I get in, even if it's 20 minutes of exercise, it just resets everything. Yeah. I I definitely think that's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. Those endorphins, they're magical. (laughs) And when you were saying, you know, you've taken calls in closets and bathrooms, et cetera, (laughs) I, I can totally relate. You know, I have very young ones right now and, you know, sometimes I take calls while holding my laptop walking oh, yeah. you know around and over them because they're right underneath my feet and it's mama 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 yeah. um but you and I have podcasted from closet <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely great acoustics in there you focus on a couple of things you know even like looking at your schedule like the overwhelm is one thing but also that like things can can change at the drop of a hat, especially oh. when you are a mom. So to look at two days or three days or even a week out, 
hey, all it takes is a sniffle and a doctor's appointment. And that whole day that you're at the doctor and driving back and forth is gone. Right. right? right. And you have to be nimble and flexible. So I just want to touch on that. Um, But I also would love to get your perspective on it is how to cope and deal with Mm. mom guilt and partner guilt. Right. Because to your point, you want to take everything on. You feel good about that. Usually, you know, I think most women do. They're like, I, people are relying on me. I like feeling that I can contribute in all of these ways. I, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, you're doing your business and that is a full-time 24-7 job, right? On top of your 24-7 personal life. So the mom guilt and the partner guilt can, can be real and strong. And I've been there where I feel like I, I'm not hitting everything at 110, which I'd love to do. So talk to us about that. Cause I know I'm not the only one. Oh gosh. No, I think we're, I think we all feel that. And we just don't talk about it because sometimes it feels, well, I'm the one making the mistake. If I talk to somebody about it or, oh gosh, it says kind of private. I don't know if I want anybody else to know this about me. Um, and that's one of the things that I've, I, I still work towards is, listen, people can think what they want about me. Some people like me, some people won't. But if I don't have somebody or a safe place to have a conversation in which I might come out looking bad in, then that's a bad thing. Um, and so, you know, the mom guilt is real. It is real. For me, it was most intense when my kids were babies and I was leaving for weeks at a time, um, shipping breast milk from across the country home to my husband and, and that was, I somehow compartmentalized that like, well, I'm doing the right thing. Cause I'm a mom and we're building a life together. And, um, but when it really hit me was when COVID came and for the first time since I ha- became a mom, I was home 24 seven. And of course I, I, I knew I was missing things, but actually seeing the sheer volume of things I was missing, the little things that was heartbreaking to me. And I went through a little bit of a dark time there, um, because it was right in front of my eyes. And, you know, that guilt is, it's there, but we, at some point we have to tell ourselves to stop, right? Stop. I'm a good mom. Even if I have to travel for three days a week, I'm a good wife. Even if I'm gone for a week at a time and my husband has to do everything at home, we have to accept the fact that we cannot do it all. We cannot be it all. And working for me, yes, it supports a family, but it's also what I love to do. It's a part of how I self-identify. It's a part of what makes me feel good about myself because I hope that the work I'm doing is inevitably going to help other people. So I don't want to feel guilty about that. Um, And so part of it is a conscious decision, I think, a conscious decision to just stop beating ourselves up because the reality is nobody expects us to do everything. Nobody can, right? The same way I don't expect my husband to do everything and I don't expect my employees to do everything. So I think a part of it is a disconnect between, gosh, what is the, does the world expect me to be perfect at everything and how people actually perceive you and what their expectations are of you. And I'll tell you for, as far as spouse guilt for me, I feel like my husband and I are starting to kind of figure this piece out a little bit and we do it really simple. We try to have lunch together one day a week. Um, while our kids, we're lucky, both our kids are in school now, so we get a, a whole day. Um, and I really try hard to make sure at least one day a week, I leave an hour open and we go somewhere, we have lunch, we talk like normal people, like when we were dating, like with no kids spilling juice or asking for something or, and that's made a tremendous difference. And I would hugely encourage, um, especially women, CEOs, entrepreneurs, leaders, to take the time and find somebody special. It doesn't have to be your husband. It could be a best friend. It could be a mom, it could, whatever. But whoever that person is that makes you kind of feel like a normal human being, <laughs> that is the person that I would really say it's really important to schedule some time to do that with. And listen, could I work through lunch that one day a week? Sure. Would it make a material difference at the end of the week if I had stayed in my office and done four more spreadsheets? No. Does it make a material difference to my marriage? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, life has seasons and you're not going to be able to do it all, all, all the time throughout every season. And that's definitely something I learned when I was a TV news reporter. And I had to make choices. And sometimes, sometimes that meant giving up the assignment 
to a, to a different journalist, which was really hard. But at the end of the day, for me, I knew that I'd rather have had that time with my kids. And then there were other situations where I knew that my husband was able to stand in in the gap there and and be that person. And that allowed them to have a stronger relationship and have that memory with him. So to your point, I think at the end of the day, you've got to surround yourself with that tribe of supporters, hopefully your spouse or partner, friends, anybody who can can help kind of pour into you and also pour into your kids if you're a mom, because uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, as so many things are that we tackle on this show. This is all about support and identifying the people who who support and enable us to be able to do the things that we are so great at doing. What are ways in which you can say thank you, even amidst the chaos? And if it's that you have children, if it's that you are just so bogged down with work or what have you, because we need to do that to be grateful. Um, But sometimes it can be hard when you're as busy and life gets in the way per se. Um, so one of the things I love to do for my kids, and I think it's important we say thank you to our kids too. I think people forget mm. that. Thank you Absolutely. for making good choices. Thank you for doing your best. Thank you for being kind. Um, we put notes in our kids' lunch boxes all the time, multiple, not maybe not every day, but multiple times a week. Um, and I think that's a really neat way for, um, parents to thank their kids and let them know that they're loved and you're acknowledging that they're doing their best. Um, so that's one of the easy things I, that we love doing. And, Gosh, you know, saying thank you to your partner, that was, that one was hard for me for a while because I felt like, well, he's doing his job and I'm doing mine. And does that always deserve a thank you? And I've learned that, yes, it always deserves a thank you um, because he's working just as hard. And sometimes what he's doing is harder than what I'm doing. I'm interacting with adults. I'm, I'm talking about real life, grown up human things for years. All he did was, you know, watch kid shows and talk in kid language and, you know, play with trucks. And so that's, yes, you always say thank you. And for, for us, we try every day to make sure we give a, each other a kiss in the morning, a kiss at night. And sometimes that's the only time we see each other or a hug and just say, physically say, thank you. But if you're not physically saying the words, there's something very powerful about touch. And if you pay attention, if, if busy people actually pay attention to the amount of time they'll go in without touching somebody, mm, yeah, it's, a, it's mm. a disturbing realization And it was for me when I started to pay attention to it. So I would encourage you to physically touch the people that are important to you because touch goes a long way. And sometimes it's far more powerful than the words themselves. Absolutely. Love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Great advice. Thank you for having me. Hey there. We hope you're enjoying the show. Do you work for a company or brand that wants to empower women? We're looking for sponsors for the We Get Real AF podcast. Reach out to us at wegetrealaf at gmail.com for more information. You can also show your support by finding the We Get Real AF podcast at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting just for you. Thanks for listening. Moving on to Profesh Sesh with Elisa Walters, our professional recruiter and talent specialist, where we talk all things career development. Well, the holidays are upon us and it's the season of giving. So what is the etiquette in giving gifts at work, colleagues, bosses? Elisa, we want to hear all your, your thoughts on this because obviously is very relevant. I think most people think of giving a little something. So what's acceptable? What's crossing the line? Um, Let's hear it. I'm a gift giver and I love, and not just going and picking something out for somebody, but putting something together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, I think it depends on your team and the different dynamics. Um, I think that's really going to play into it. And I also think that's shifted in how it's looked over the last two years because of COVID and being fully remote. So the general rule of thumb is definitely that gifts should absolutely flow down the reporting line, boost the morale and and let them know that you're thinking about, about them and what that looks like. I would say it can, you can spend anywhere from maybe 75 to a hundred from a manager standpoint among colleagues I send my my 
coworkers Starbucks gift cards, especially because it's digital. It's something that they can put right into their, you know, onto their phone. I feel like everybody can find something at Starbucks and there's a Starbucks everywhere. So a coworker of mine who may not necessarily live in a major city with all these quaint, cute coffee shops, I think you can't go wrong with, with virtual gift cards and things like that. Another thing, my new boss recently actually sent us all those boxes with a whole bunch of cool stuff in it. Actually, I have something here. Um, this came in it, like mindfulness card. That's a neat, that's a neat idea. Is the whole concept of the box around self-care? It was, it was the mindful card, but mindfulness cards, um, like a self-care card that you pull every day, something that you do. Maybe it's making sure you're drinking eight glasses of water, but it's just your reminder that it's like developing good habits. Um, there was just a whole bunch of fun stuff in there that was relevant to everyday self-care when it comes to that work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was very mindful of that. And she's very, she's somebody who, who's the one who tries to practice what she preaches and she wants her team to feel that they, they should be doing the same. I love those boxes. Have There's so many different ones now. And I think especially because of COVID, the box for everything. So those are really great ideas for um for a, a manager to send their subordinates you can get everything from one that has like candles and things like that you can send one with coffee you know all coffee themed or tea themed and you can do subscription boxes um do you buy your boss a gift i always give my boss something it's you know whether it's i i had a previous boss who had a very expansive palette when it came to red wine and I am a member of a winery in California, so I sent her a bottle of wine from the the vineyard. So I think when it comes to what you give your boss, also be mindful of what you can afford. If sending a $15 gift card to your boss from Starbucks, even $10 is all you can do. It's the, It really is the thought that counts. Send it with a note that says, I need a raise. <laughs> <laughs> this is all I can get a better gift me. next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I do think that I, I just, I love to give gifts. I think you need to keep it very informal, um, but put some thought into it. Goes back to active listening. But but personal, right? Like just showing yeah. that you know the person's interest or you know something personal about them and this would be something that would align with that and that they would enjoy, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm with you, Elise. I mean, I think that most people like to give. They like almost, I mean, I even prefer sometimes giving than receiving because I like to see people's reactions mm-hmm. and I love that exchange. But when it comes to giving to colleagues, coworkers, partners with which you work, I, I definitely think that it enhances that relationship capital, not because of the gift, but because of the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love that. But something that I do get caught up in a lot of times is, you know, I, I'm not rich and I want to give to everybody. And then it's like, okay, well, if I give to so-and-so and mm-hmm. so-and-so sees me give to so-and-so, are they going to expect one? So how do you kind of draw those lines in a proper way where someone's not going to feel slighted? I would say that in those types of situations, um, I, I'm also, I love to give a gift and I love to see somebody, the experience of somebody opening it and, and finding that joy out of, and getting the joy out of it. Um, I also am somebody who likes to give my gifts in private mm-hmm. um, and not making it out to be a big thing. So in ways that you perhaps, perhaps maybe you're just giving that person a card with a little candy cane on it. Um, I, I might leave that gift that I'm giving to somebody to, so somebody else doesn't feel slighted. I might leave that maybe on their desk or on their chair or pull them aside and give it to them separately. People love snacks at work. Um, and I, I know this is probably something we may not see in the near future again, but those huge popcorn bins with all the different types of popcorns, they were always a big hit. So something that also maybe you 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 do something that the whole team can enjoy. And if there's one particular person that you find that you're close with, you just you pull them aside or you leave it and you don't make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. I think another lovely gift that you can give at the holidays is just a card with a personal note saying, I really appreciate what you bring to the team and be specific. 
and say, or something that you've done. I've really enjoyed this interaction with you this year. Here's what I think is great about you as a boss, as a colleague, whatever. I mean, I think sometimes just those words of encouragement mean more than anything that you could buy. And so don't be be discouraged if you don't have a large budget or you're not a good baker, (laughs) because I think sometimes it's just letting people know that you respect and care for them. That is the most meaningful thing of all. I was thinking the exact same thing, Sue. Thank you for bringing that up because I was thinking of, you know, we talk about a swath of different people and different seasons of life here. And obviously there are college grads that are in their first year working for somebody and may not be making the big bucks yet. Um, So you could literally get, you mentioned, Elisa, a candy cane, a box of candy canes, like at the dollar store for a dollar and some nice cards and just tape a candy cane. And to your point, Sue, that personalization that like, hey, loved working on this project with you, hope to have that experience again next year or something to that effect that is personalized goes a long way. What's the etiquette surrounding thanking somebody for that gift? I'm still a big fan of sending a note of some sort. I'm I'm such a like thank you note person. Like I really do like writing out a thank you note um, and it's very old school, but I don't know. There's just something about like the opening the card and it's something that you don't get every day. So it makes it that much more special. If you have the person's phone number and instead of sending an email or a text, if you use the voice memo, I think it gives me that same flutter than a, that a thank you note does. That's a really cool idea because people don't use those as much as you might expect that they would because we're all in such a rush and, and we you know rely on our email. So um, it doesn't have to be long, but man, something handwritten or to your point, uh, a, a voice memo is a way to stand out and show you're paying attention to what this person did for you and you really appreciate it. So I love that. Well, yeah, it's a piece of you, right? It makes it very, it makes it that much more human. Their phone number that you text with them or or whatever the case might be. But thinking outside of the box where you also can convey that, can convey that gratitude, I think is really important. Is, is there any etiquette or anything that we need to consider uh, when we're talking about gifting clients? You have to be very careful. Um, I would say specifically when it comes to how you gift your clients because you want to make sure that it's an authentic, genuine gift, not a bribe. Again, sending something to an entire office um, that might be a, a basket of cookies or, you know, the Harry and David pear boxes or something that the entire company can enjoy. That's a very generic gesture of happy holidays. So I think, you know, you you want to be careful. You're not, you're not gifting people tickets to, to concerts and, you know, those kind of things. I would say, try to be generic. And I just also want to call out that this might seem obvious, but I'm going to throw it out there, giving gag gifts and things like that to just remember tone. Mm-hmm. Please remember tone <laughs> during all of this happy gift giving time. And just remember that it's a time to bring people together and not divide people. Maybe it is that secret, secret Santa, um, again, tasteful, um, appropriate in the workplace gifts that you're, you're doing a secret Santa or, um, you know, a, a cookie baking class together. Or, I mean, that's a lot of the things that our employee engagement team has put forth for our company to participate in. And you get this huge box of um, cookie mix to to bake with your your team on a Zoom and there's music playing and it's after hour, you know, after working hours. So you can have a glass of wine if you wanted to, but it's to bring, you know, that, that team bonding experience. So that might be another route to take is looking into what kind of experience can you have together as a team. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Elisa. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. All right, time for Anything Goes, where we talk just about anything. We are so excited. Thanksgiving's next week. We're getting in the mood. And I feel like Thanksgiving comes, and for some people before Thanksgiving comes, the Christmas music, the holiday music, it's, it's, it's a mood. In the mood for food. (laughs) (laughs) In the mood for all the things. Actually, Sue, have you seen online that a lot of people have been putting up their Christmas trees like within the last week or so? I have. Yeah. Well, it's upon us. And I think I used to think it's too early, but now I think life moves so fast. So (laughs) go for it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And if if it brings up and lifts up your mood and you're happier and you're just spreading cheer, then the longer, yep. the better. Right? I agree. A hundred percent. 
Well, you have some gratitude tips that um, you'd like to share. And I have some Thanksgiving kitchen hacks because a lot of people are in the kitchen baking and doing all the things. So let's start with the gratitude because that's first and foremost what this season's all about. Absolutely. And um, I think that this time of year, it's really, really easy to feel overwhelmed. Mm. And I mean, we've talked about this on with some of our guests and I think it's an ongoing theme. There's a lot to unpack there, but I came across an Instagram account and I want to give credit where credit is due because several of my tips come from this account. It's the uncommon normal. And, Mm. um, she has several posts about different ways that you can be grateful and express gratitude and remember to be grateful, especially during the month of November and how that can actually help you combat overwhelm. And so I'm using some of her tips and also just have a few of my own that I wanted to throw in. Um, I'm going to start with keeping a gratitude journal. And this is something I know that you do, Vanessa. Um, It doesn't have to be a long, long long-winded tome that you're writing, but if you take a little time each day to just jot down things that you're grateful for, one or more but just being intentional. We talk about intentionality a lot on the podcast. Taking that time to really think about what's going right in your moment, in your room, in your day can really can be a very healthy practice and a great way to, to capture the spirit of the season and combat overwhelm. Mm, I love that one. And yes, I try to. And we've covered this with Dr. Leslie Marshall. Um, and I just, it bears repeating. There's no right or wrong way to do it. There's no rule book. You can be thankful for the same thing a few days in a row. It could be as as basic as just a beautiful day outside to your partner, your children, your health, whatever it is, like there is no rule book. So don't put those boundaries on yourself. Um, It's not supposed to be stressful. It can be an adjustment for anybody who hasn't done it before. Um, And there might be days and weeks that you fall off of the, the gratitude wagon as far as doing that intentional jotting down. And that's okay too, because life happens. Mm -hmm. But as long as you get back to it, I feel like when I make space and time to do it. I feel clearer. Mm -hmm. I feel more productive. I feel better about everything that I'm doing in my life. So I love that one, Sue. It resets your focus, right? And it takes it away from, again, the little gnats or the things that are buzzing around your head that aren't aren't going right. It puts your focus on the things that are going right. So um, yeah, love that one too. All right, let's get to your first cooking hack. Speaking of somebody who does not cook myself, (laughs) these hacks are going to, you know, have to be Really good ones to get me in the kitchen. Yeah. So I have number one, believe in the brine. If you have not tried brining your turkey, if turkey is what you do as your main protein in the traditional Thanksgiving meal, brining does wonders. Poultry is a, is a protein that lends itself to dryness. They have large bags or you can do a bag in a bowl and brining it with either uh, chicken stock or buttermilk with like seasonings and letting that baby just soak in it and take that nice little bath overnight before you start cooking it. I'm telling you, it does wonders for your bird. So believe in it. Believe in the brine. That's my first tip. Brine, baby, brine. It's like a <laughs> spa treatment for your turkey. <laughs> totally. <laughs> All righty. Next gratitude tip for folks. This is something that our family has done in the past. My girls are grown now, but uh, around middle school, we started this practice. And it's similar to keeping a gratitude journal, but this is something you can get your whole family involved in. We had a gratitude jar. And uh, I think I mentioned this on another one of our episodes where we spoke with Dr. Leslie Marshall, but it's really, really simple. You just get a little mason jar and again, don't overthink it. Whatever's the first thing that comes to your mind, jot down and put on a little slip of paper, fold it up and stick it in the jar and encourage your kids to do that as well. And it's, it's a great way to, to spread that spirit of gratitude to your children, because they'll know we're keeping this jar at the end of the month, we're going to unpack it. And we're going to look at all the things that we were grateful for. And it could be, I got a good grade on a test, or I made a new friend, or, you know, something that went well for you at work, or we got the laundry, (laughs) we got through the laundry this week, or I don't know what it is, but it, it doesn't have to be profound, but just the little things, jot them down, put them in the jar. And then it's a really fun thing to gather as a family around Thanksgiving and just pull them out and go, yeah, 
pretty good month we've had here. I remember you mentioning this and me loving it because again, there's no rule book as far as it being profound. It doesn't have to be. And you're just thankful for the little things that make a big difference, right? And Mm -hmm. remembering those things because as humans, and we've talked about this too, um, we're very hard on ourselves and that toxic language and, you know, internal uh, little person that hones in on the negative. You need those reminders. They may be small, but they make that big impact. So. I love the jar. That's an all year thing. That's a year round thing. That's not even Thanksgiving. Like at the end of the month, let's pull the jar out. Let's talk about it. Right. Well, we actually did it as a, as a year long thing, but November's a great month to get started. And again, it's a really fun thing for your kids to do. We used to get the little tiny, but colorful, fun sticky notes and the kids would write whatever their thought was on there and put it in. And they'd have at the ends, you know, the time that we did it, um, just this sort of rainbow of happiness. (laughs) It's Uh really great. Uh, I love that. All right. Number two on my list is preparedness, right? Anything you can do one to two days before. So pre-chopping, pre-preparing, anything that can sit for one to two days in the fridge. So whether that's chopping all of your ingredients, you know, the unsung hero of a kitchen is a sous chef. I love cooking, but doing the sous chef duties, that takes a lot of work and time. If everything was chopped and ready to be mixed and baked and all that, that's the fun part, right? Mm -hmm. So get some of those things that take time but need to happen in order to do the thing done a day or two before. And anything that can be actually prepared and maybe just sit until it needs to be baked on the day of, do it. So smart. And actually, that is what I don't like about cooking and probably why I'm not that much of a, a cook. And by the way, when Vanessa says sous chef, she means S-O-U-S, the French word. She does not refer to her podcast co-host who is anything but a chef. <laughs> I'm like, sous chef? That's like, oh, that's what? funny. When two words are the opposite of each other. See, Sue, Sue thinks of it because she's so good with the puns. So of course she thinks sous chef. Oh, like a like, the play no, on words. Not, I love not it. in this world. But anyway, I love that. I think that's a great tip. And being prepared, because you're right, chopping and and all that. And then cleaning up all the chopping stuff. So you you start over again with the next task is not Mm -hmm. so fun. So start early. I love it. All righty. I'm going to do my third tip for gratitude. And if you are not one, or if, if starting a gratitude journal feels like a lift to you, Here's another tip from, again, this uh, Instagram account, The Uncommon Normal, that I thought was really clever. Once a day, every day for the month of November, snap a picture of something that you're grateful for. It could be a beautiful leaf on the ground. It could be your groceries (laughs) put away. It could be the face of somebody you love. It could be whatever. Again, the key here is to is the feeling. It's not the, trying to overcomplicate things, but it's also something that your kids could do too. I think that would be really fun to start an album together um, where everybody just snaps a picture of something that they're grateful for and then shares it at Thanksgiving. Mm, I love that one. And I have officially started following the Uncommon Normal on Instagram because I like all yeah. these tips. Mm-hmm. All right. My third kitchen hack. <laughs> yeah, I call it the garlic trick. So garlic is a pain when you're peeling it. So what my husband and I do is we'll take the garlic cloves and put them in a thermos, anything that has like a hard base and a hard top and you shake it really, really, really hard. And the friction between the shaking against the cloves and the, the, the base and the top loosens up the peel and you just pour it out and literally the, the cloves just fall out. Um, So that's a piece of it. Um, Another thing is when you're cutting garlic, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of juices in there. So it's better to smush like either with your palm or the knife, the garlic clove. So the juices kind of pop out and then you chop it versus just chopping them up without doing that. I've tried those two things. One other garlic thing that I researched is if you microwave cloves of garlic or the whole thing, and you just basically cut the, the top and bottom and you put it in the microwave for 15 seconds, they pop out of the peel. Who knew? Yeah, (laughs) That's a great (laughs) hack. I'll have to try that. Love that. All righty. So here is sort of, you get a twofer with this next tip because you get a little bit of mindful meditation, deep breathing, and you get a moment to think about what's going right in your life. And it's, it's the inhale, exhale technique. So when take a few moments each day and on your inhale, Think about something you're grateful for and then speak it into the universe on your exhale. 
And Mm. uh, it's just another way, again, if we're talking about trying to overcome overwhelm and trying to combat that, it's taking your your head and your body, because our bodies and minds are so uh, intertwined, um, into a more peaceful place. So again, practice that intentional breathing of inhale while you're thinking about the thing that you're grateful for and exhale it by speaking it out loud. Mm, I love that because manifestation is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Number four on the kitchen hack. If you boil potatoes whole, meaning with the skin, you don't need to peel them because the skin just slides off. So yay, mm-hmm. just pop them in the in the jacuzzi <laughs> in the hot tub. And then when they come out, it, the peel just comes, slides right off. So there you go. I think you can do that with tomatoes too, can't you? And peaches or certain, mm. um, I think so. Maybe. I love that idea. <laughs> <Try those. laughs> I think that makes it easy. I love that. That's awesome. All right. Here's another one that I came up with that I, I think is really important for gratitude. And that is once a day, look back on your day and thank yourself for something that you did. Um, I think so often we forget to be thankful to ourselves and we spend our day criticizing ourselves. And, and um, so for example, this morning I went for a run and I'm not the fastest runner in the world, but I'm glad that I did it. So I thanked myself for that. So ladies mm. and gentlemen who are listening, thank yourself for something once a day. Be gentle with yourself, that word gentle. And we touched on this with Dr. Leslie Marshall. Um, we've mentioned her so many times, but she is like amazing <laughs> when it comes to mindfulness and mental health. Um, but yeah, I, I can't agree with you more like the criticizing and we are, we're hard with our, with our own selves and we're human beings too, right? Like we would never, like you've mentioned this too before, like we would never say these things that we say to ourselves, to other people. So be gentle with yourself and, um, thanking yourself for something. Goodness. Yesterday I was having a day. I was having Mm -hmm. a day. It just started out. And you know, those days they start out and you're like, Oh no, please don't let this be the tone. And it just trickles because it's like, you start that way. And it's like, it's like a tornado, but you know what? Midday I was like, this is happening. I'm going to let it go and just be okay with myself and proud of myself for going with the flow because you're going to have those moments. So I did, I was like, good for you, Vanessa you're going through it, you're doing it and we'll start again tomorrow. So that yes. it's, it's a long game. We're in this for the long game. Be kind to yourselves. Be- Sheesh. Yeah. Amen. All right. I'm on a potato kick here. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to scrub a lot of potatoes, right? You have the sweet potato dish and you have the, you know, russet potato dish, whatever place and run them through the dishwasher instead of having a sink full of potatoes sans the soap. Don't put the soap in, but you can run a quick cycle in the dishwasher. It gets heat, you know, there's a lot of steam, a lot of heat, and you rinse them all at once. That's actually really clever. I've never thought. And I have not tried that one, but I love it. And I think yeah. it's brilliant. It's <laughs> brilliant. Very cool. All righty. Another tip to help you overcome overwhelm is take a sticky note or write on your mirror, someplace that you look frequently throughout the day something encouraging, an encouraging quote, or something that you're grateful for so that you'll see it. And it's a reminder to you. Um, so yeah, use those sticky notes or, or the thing I read said, you know, write it on your mirror, but I, I could see putting in your notes on your phone or anywhere where you can get to it quickly and just remind yourself, this is what mm-hmm. I have to be grateful for. Absolutely. Gratefulness. And then also affirmations going back to that self-care, like things that you're doing well, or things that you like, you love about yourself. It's okay. It's okay to lean into those things and we encourage it for sure. We sure do. Also with the note, with the notes, um, we covered this little piece with uh, Liz Cormier May, um, writing notes to your children in their lunchbox. I had a friend whose mom did that growing up and I put that back in my brain back here and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that one day if I have the opportunity to be a mom. And I do that with Anderson. Mm-hmm. So Jason and I will alternate and we'll, we'll write notes and then it could be anything and words of encouragement, affirmation, things that we're looking forward to. And we put the little note with a sticker and all that in her lunchbox. And we have her teacher read it to her at lunchtime. I did so. that with my girls too. I'd write it on their napkin. And my mom did that for me. I love that. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Since we're talking about notes, um, this is in that realm. Use your cabinets 
as a cookbook slash recipe stand. So print it out and tape it up. So you have several different cabinets in your kitchen or wherever you're going to be cooking. And that way you can just go over there. I'm the worst. I will use my little phone and then my phone like times out or locks and then I have to reopen it with my password while I'm in the middle of a, oh, what was that again? Yeah, I do that too with my, uh, I'll either screenshot the recipe with my phone or I'll haul my laptop into, <laughs> into the kitchen and then say you have counter space. So that's a, definitely a better way to do it. Um, here's another fun one that you can do with your kids. Pick a color for the day and look for things in that color that you are thankful for. It's a good way to remind yourself throughout the day to be grateful. I love that. You're looking around you for things in that color. And then you associate them with gratitude. And you're right. You do take notice. It's almost like when you buy a car, you see the car everywhere. That's a cool little tip and fun. Yeah. Fun too. Yeah. Awesome. Sue, we were talking about how Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays in general, whatever you celebrate, you have all your loved ones, hopefully, especially this year, hopefully we can get together if we're vaccinated and doing it safely. But there's also like the family drama that sometimes ensues when you have that many people and that many personalities together. So this tip kind of plays into that. Uh, and it was labeled a corkscrew as a guest deflector. So basically, well-meaning family and friends are in the kitchen. There's a flurry of cooking going on. Having a list of tasks that those people can do to actually help you. So whether that be opening the wine, right? The corkscrew. <laughs> or, hey, I've got water glasses over there. They need filling up. I need these dishes cleaned up so I can get to the next thing. Wrangling the kids, whatever it is, have a list so that that way when that person just starts to be maybe a little too much, start sending you over the edge, you can say, hey, <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> it's, it ties into being prepared. It's like you chop your veggies ahead of time and you make that list <laughs> ahead of time uh, and you'll be prepared for the day of. Very smart. Love it. We all know that as we get into the holiday season, we get impatient because we're standing in lines, we're waiting a lot. There's crowds, we're looking for a parking spot, all the things. So another tip is to take those moments when you might otherwise be impatient because you are waiting in line and take that time to think about things that you're grateful for. Just mind, mindset switch. My goodness, is that a mindset switch? Because they're just, a lot of times it's fester, right? Start then playing into all the other things that you need to be doing because you're sitting here and you're getting behind and then the negative talk, right? Like mm -hmm. all of it is it's a spiral. Yeah, It's a spiral. So I love that. Just refocusing, resetting. Hey, you know what? Gratitude, gratitude. I'm so grateful for whatever's coming. And my uncle, he, he has, he's full of personality and he always talks about lily pads as being the thing to get you to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So think of your lily pads, that next thing that's coming up, that's going to get you to that next thing. Like, oh, I'm looking forward to dinner tonight because we're having whatever, or I'm, so, I'm looking forward to spending time with, you know, your child because they're really looking forward to seeing this movie. It's like whatever that lily pad is for you, kind of like prioritize it, you know, that's coming up next. I love that. I love the lily pads. And I, just the idea of having a pause. I mean, if you have to wait anyway, why not view it as a pause and a moment to, with intention, think about the things that you have to be grateful for, because that feeds your soul as opposed to standing around feeling irritated, which sucks the life out of you. So use your mm. time to be grateful. Absolutely. All right. Another tip. Your oven is getting so much love during this day and time. Don't forget or underestimate your microwave. You can boil certain things in the microwave. Some people don't have two ovens or more, um, and you're focusing on that kind of format your brain to think, oh, that can go in the microwave for sure. Yes. So. Use all the tools at your disposal, people. <laughs> so the next one is when you're tucking your kids into bed at night, if you're saying bedtime prayers or just having that closing moment together at the end of the day, take a moment to talk about gratitude and think about mm -hmm. what happened during the day that you're thankful for. Not only will it be a salve for your soul at the end of a very busy day, but it will also teach gratitude in a very natural and intimate way to your children. And it'll be the last thing on both of your minds and hearts at the end of the day. So whether it's bedtime prayers or bedtime tucking in, whatever your ritual is in the evening, include gratitude in that. Mm, I love that. Love it. All right. My ninth tip, cover the kid's end of the table with craft paper or a brown paper bag that's been cut open wide and set out crayons to keep them entertained during dinner. 
because obviously attention spans are short. And the first thing we kind of gravitate toward is the here, watch this show on this device, on this screen. But they might think it's a lot of fun that they get to draw on the table. I love that. And they could even draw pictures of things they're thankful for. <laughs> mm-hmm. into our tips. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you could do the whole the whole table for the adults to write what they're grateful for. That's do something awesome. fun and creative. Well, my last tip is actually a book recommendation. I am reading a book and, and it is a book for people who are... Um, of the Christian faith. So if that's not you, it might not be the book for you, but it might still be. I am a Christian and I love this book. It's by Ann Boskamp and it's called A Thousand Gifts. And I want to recommend that to anybody who wants to think more about having gratitude in their life. Ann is an amazing writer. Um, and she, she had a friend who challenged her to find something to be thankful for every day. And she ended up having an overabundance of things that she discovered in her life to be thankful for. And she writes like a poet and she finds a lot of things just in nature around her. And I'm, you know, Vanessa, I'm a nature girl and I love, Mm -hmm. I live at the beach and, and reading her book out on the beach and looking around me at different things that I see in nature that are beautiful, just calms my soul. So recommend, recommend that book. And that's my last tip. Thank you for sharing that. So I'll have to pick that up too. Um, My last tip kind of leans into everything that you've been saying, Sue, with gratitude and um, just taking a moment is learn to let go. That Thanksgiving in general is just a time to be grateful for all of the blessings and gifts in your life. However they come, whatever form that is in, the people that are around you, that's what matters. So if the meal doesn't turn out great, if something doesn't go according to plan, if that one person just comes and tries to derail your energy, like don't let that affect your your time, your moment, what you're working so hard to prepare for your family. You're blessed to be able to be in the position to hopefully put food on the table for your family to enjoy this time of year. So let go, embrace it, have fun and and enjoy this time as much and as best as you can. And leaning into another conversation we had about learning to love people well during the holidays, be there for people who need it in the way that is best for them. That's my last tip. I love it. I love all of them. These were great tips. Um, you know, go put your potatoes in the dishwasher (laughs) and get yourself a good book or a moment to sit down with your own journal and think about gratitude and have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody. Exactly. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Thanks for joining us here on We Get Real AF. Make sure you subscribe to the show and text this episode to a friend. Also, if we need money, honey, find us at ifundwomen.com. We have patron exclusives waiting for you. Plus, you'll just feel good. Special thanks to our WeGraph Live events and technical director, Mitchell Machado. You can find Mitchell on LinkedIn, spelled M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-M-A-C-H-A-D-O. And we want to give a big thanks to our podcast sound designer, Sam McLean, that's spelled M-C-L-E-A-N, of InPhase Audio. Thanks for listening.